Well, Bob Harris is on assignment, so Daniel, you're going to pick up the slack for me here, um, you know, because Bob's a slacker anyway, and we'll, we'll wish a happy birthday to his to his mom <laughs> and dad, who he's going out there to visit, who are, his dad still probably could kick my ass, but, um, you, you know, with that said, it's a Chiefs day with feel it or fuck it, because my dog ate my Ravens hat and decided <laughs> that, this, and decided to leave the Chiefs hats and Browns hats alone, so... Who better than to ask you? I got it. I just got to know. Feel it or fuck it. Rishi Rice is he an instant impact producer in Kansas City? Or and in defining that by like over six hundred yards receiving. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, so I'm gonna leave this off with a big old fuck it because I think we all understand that Andy Reid's offense of the very first season for these rookies, especially. I try to stress this. Coming out last year with Sky Moore, you have to understand smaller school wide receivers coming into the NFL. It's not just a normal jump from your power five schools from offenses they're running into Andy Reid's. Even then, you know, McCole Hardman, his route tree at Georgia was undefined. It doesn't have this whole different reading of the, the secondary, reading of the coverages and zone coverages and understanding where you're supposed to break and all the different things you can do based off of the the leverage of the corner. So Sky Moore had 200 plus yards last year. Granted, he was rotating as like the wide receiver five or four. So yeah, no, I can't I can't be on board with it. I wasn't on board with everyone hyping up Sky Moore last year when you figured everything that was coming in into Kansas City with all the veterans that Andy Reid brought in. It just couldn't do that, and you still have a plethora of people. You know, MVS Tony, who they expect to be their number one wide receiver this year they do believe it they absolutely do sky Moore, travis kelsey there's two even mckinnon last year he was a running back one down the stretch because he was getting tons and tons of receiving production he's probably going to be doing that again this year so i i like rishi i think he could be a good player we have a lot to determine of what he is mentally in learning a brand new offensive scheme yeah see i think that's great because when i look at it even before you even look at the film you just look at the fantasy perspective from the past several years with Andy Reid's offense, yeah. it's like, you know, I see this over and over again, beginning with, like you mentioned, Nicole Harbin, when everybody was like, oh, you got to get a piece of the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> offense. Yeah, the P, the, it's not a six or eight or ten piece pizza pie. It's nope. literally three slices, and <laughs> uh, you know, in the passing offense, essentially, you know, and that's been Kelsey, the wide receiver one, you know, and, and last year it was Juju and Kelsey, the year before, yep. the years before, we know Tyreek and Kelsey. Nicole Hardman's never, you know, he's been that baby. He's been that piece of cheese and the topping that's been left over in the box, you know, for fantasy people. So, yeah. So I'm, I appreciate hearing that. But so with that said, um, do we get a? Do we see any progress from Sky Moore this year, where mm -hmm. we say he could potentially, maybe work his way into being an extra piece in this pie? Yeah, I actually just did a Sky Moore film review on rgrfootball.com going into his whole last year. I went through seven games. I charted all of his routes. And funny enough, you know, he was actually there, the top-graded blocking wide receiver in Kansas City last year based on 200-plus snaps of, of him blocking. Weird thing uh, to have in Andy Reid. That's what he was doing. You know, He was really kind of trying to figure out what Sky Moore was good at. He was running as you know a, fo a focal point for wide receiver screens he was blocking he was doing jet sweeps he was having being a, a wide receiver screen player himself and he was doing some of the adjustments on his routes like if you go back to the uh, rams game from last year there's a play where the rams 
come out in a too high shell and they show the corner who's kind of pressing up on Sky Moore a little bit. Everyone's just running out routes. All four wide receivers across Travis Kelsey, uh, Justin Watson, Sky Moore. But based off the leverage of the corner, you have the ability to go vertical because if he presses you, but then he flips around and looks at the quarterback, that allows them to then go up the field. So Sky Moore is the only one that gets a little bit of a bump. So you have him reading that, feeling it, and understanding that he's now sitting in between this underneath flat defender and a safety. And he, he goes vertical. Patrick Mahomes finds it, identifies it, throws it up, and then he goes catches the ball away from his frame with his hands. That's what I love. That's one of the biggest things that I took away from his film review is that he was learning how to read a defense and understand the coverage as it changes in front of him and how Patrick needs to see it too. So I am on board with him being a bigger part of this offense in 2023 mostly because if we look at what Juju Schuster did last year a lot of the getting in and out of the zones that, that he was doing the tough yards after the catch that's exactly what Sky Moore can do right now he can get he was still not great against zone last year so we have to see his OTAs his training camp see how mentally he's reading defenses but one thing that he's going to do is give you tough yards after the catch and he still is a fast guy he's not uber fast he's not got that burst but I think we're going to see close to 670 100 yard I think a floor ish for him and I think he can get four to five touchdowns this year based off of what they are going to do in the offense so I think he's going to have a better year based off of everything that I saw last year and the growth that we expect going into his second year yeah I like that and certainly Andy Reid I think tends to be patient with his youth in terms of Mm -hmm. giving them opportunities to develop over time but that said would it be also wise to say that Richie James is the hedge in case Sky Moore and Rishi Rice don't develop fast, and that Ray, that if there's a sneaky, productive guy for this offense, it would be James. I would like to say yes, but then the return of Justin Watson is here, and Justin Watson played a ton of starting starting role snaps for this offense in the middle of the season when guys were injured, and Andy Reid. It does. If there's one fault I have on him sometimes is that he gets very comfortable with veterans in his offense. Demarcus Robinson was one of the staples of the Kansas City Chiefs offense. He was like the double move for, uh, um, guy that did everything for wanting to block and just knew the offense in and out. So Andy Reid kind of went back to him a lot. I think with the return of Justin Watson, if Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice aren't getting it up to speed, even to an extent... Uh, Kadarius Tony, because he's still, you know, coming out of Florida, was a raw player going into the Giants, two different offensive systems, and, you know, they didn't really want to deal with it. He's still learning Andy Reid's offense, even though the terminology, to an extent, is going to be similar to what you're seeing from a Mike Kafka, and a, uh, I can see his face, and I'm just blanking on. That's um, okay. Yeah, the Buffalo, the, uh, Buffalo Bill, who used to be the offensive coordinator, who's now the head coach in New York. Sure. Um, Dable. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 exactly. They're Brian Dable. Their offensive schemes kind of touch a little bit. They've all kind of worked with each other at some point in time. But I do think that while Richie James offers uh, more of a, I guess, a safe safety net, because last year when everything hit the fan, especially in the AFC Championship game, you had injuries. You had Sky Moore out there. And even Emir Smith-Marset was playing snaps like for them at some point. And that's not necessarily where you want to be. So I think Richie's more of a break glass in case of emergency rotational player but a more of a return competition guy because he's going to come in maybe maybe take that off the plate of sky Moore, who we saw struggle most of the season last year they don't 
I don't think they want Kadarius Tony returning punts with everything that you you want to do. You want him focused on playing wide receiver. You want Sky Moore focused on playing wide receiver. So Richie James will have that a veteran guy who knows the offense, who has the terminology playing Mike Kafka last year, comes in to Andy Reid's offense as a return guy, but also a good depth piece. And I think that if anything were to happen, a veteran guy that needs to step in, I think it would be Justin Watson over a Richie James. But you never know. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thought. My my argument maybe for Richie James is in the same argument that one would have for Justin Watson is that mm-hmm. Watson and Mahomes worked out together. Mahomes liked him, you know, lobbied lobbied or gave his stamp of approval to have Watson join the team. But I remember when Wat when Mahomes was coming out in the draft that one of his offseason workout guys and I don't yeah. know if they did more of that was Richie James. Yeah. So the thing about Richie that I've always liked is that he can probably give you a flanker work if you need it. He'll, he can give you slot work if you need it, mm-hmm. and certainly the return game. So there's a number of opportunities for him to be there in that regard. But I get where you're coming from with uh, Watson. Watson is bigger. He's also, a, you know, I think Watson's bigger, maybe a little faster. Um, probably. You know, on that end. But you know, yeah, I think they're loaded. I think if you ask me with depth, even if it's not like high-end players abound, yeah. that I think they have really competent you know, players. I still think the sneaky guy to produce this year is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I, I really do. And you go back last year, they he and Mahomes missed on four deep wide open touchdown they were wide open if he hits those even two of them where people are probably talking more about marquez in this offense but with them consistently saying that Kadarius tony is their number one wide receiver and the offense still funnels through travis kelsey i i just i think this could be a year where you know marquez maybe has his best statistical season ever i really believe that's possible so so the so the old the crusty old pessimistic dude in me says fuck that because <laughs> me too like, because, because i hate his skill set because <laughs> he's because he's such a tease he's been such a tease for so long but i but honestly the part that stays young in me and that i'm i still repeated i still want to i'm like okay yeah we'll give it another year you know so always yeah how about clyde edwards hilaire is there something left in the tank with this guy he's been banged up so much is yeah you know a guy like um jay moyers talked about i think he's i think he's done maybe physically and maybe that's gonna be it's tough for him to ever see what people th- wanted to see from him you know to begin his career at lsu yeah the, i think part of the problem with clyde is the usage i think that the chiefs maybe put him in a their box not wanting him to be what he was at LSU because he didn't get a ton of those targets. Uh, there was a play in his rookie season against the Chargers, the second game of the season, where he's 25, 30 yards down the field, and he, he goes up and boxes out the defender, turning around in the air and makes a catch. Not once do we see him do a wheel route out of the backfield since that play. Not once. That bothers me. Like That, that kind of stuff bothers me. Last year, he was actually a very... First five games of the season, he was scoring touchdowns at kind of a an alarming rate. Everyone's like, what's going on here? He was very, very efficient. And then you, you start to see the injuries pile up. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco gets more more touches. I think that his best role is a, a, is a rotational back, obviously, in, in this backfield now of three guys who could end up all not playing at some point last year with him, the next year with injuries. I don't know. I know that Isaiah Pacheco's playing style leads to injuries. He's more of an upright runner. We know Clyde's been banged up all of his career. You know, even Jarek McKinnon has, has been, been beat up a lot of his time before Kansas City. So 
I have always been a believer in Clyde's skill set because if you let him do what he does well, which is run between the tackles, the big problem for him is that he's too patient in the NFL. He could be more patient at LSU where he, you know, could set those linebackers up sometimes. You see a hole here, but you're like, no, if, if I take a second or half a second and set this linebacker up, I'll have a bigger hole down maybe the left side. He doesn't have time to do that in the NFL, and he still thinks he does at times. And you'll see him just sit there in a hole trying to set up a linebacker to get maybe an extra five yards when you got to hit these holes. And he doesn't have, you know, speed for to burn. He's a 4'6 no. running back, and he never did have that speed. The short area stuff is still there, and I do think that he is a good NFL running back for what he does. If he's going to get the, the catches and the targets, I think that could be where we see something left in the tank for him, but he's going to have to be efficient. He's going to have to get the targets because he was getting nearly four, yard, uh, four targets a game in the first five games of the season last year, and then that evaporated before his injury. So he's not going to get a ton of the early down work Isaiah Pacheco's going to get that. He's probably not getting any of the uh, red zone work like he was early last year. It's going to have to be, are they going to save Jarek McKinnon for the playoffs like they, they like most people think they want to because he is an older guy and they want to do that? Or is he just going to be the third man kind of out in this rotation? Um, I think they tr want to try to trade him if they possibly can, but that would also mean he kind of has to get touches to be able to, to give you some trade value. So I still believe that he has talent it left in the tank something to give but his body is it going to hold up are they going to use him properly all things to consider here yeah i agree i mean to me i always saw him as a guy that he might you know in the right circumstance he could give you 500 700 yards rushing but he yeah. could give you 700 to 900 yards receiving if yeah, you used him that way and it was and so the idea and i guess that's why you could hear the brian westbrook um comparisons to a degree but westbrook was yeah. a was a way better runner, if you ask me, between the tackles. But yeah. not that Edwards Hilaire was bad, but he just, I think that the the contact, he's a bully in the open field. His contact balance yeah, yeah, is there. Sure. You get him past the linebackers, and that's where you're going to see the contact balance. But, you know, decision maker, yeah, he was a good decision maker, without a doubt. Um, all right, so Josh McDaniels, we'll turn to the AFC <laughs> West, the rest of the West here a little bit. Is he turning the Raiders' offense into a junkyard filled with Patriots' refuse? I mean, probably. That's all he knows. Like, <laughs> it's the Patriot way, right? What do these guys know outside of the Patriots that leads to success? Mike Vrabel's the only guy that's been able to do it, and he does it his, his own way. He, he does it completely a little bit differently than McDaniels or Patricia or Josh or any of these guys. They don't have success. And I don't think, I'll, personally, I'll tell you right now, I don't think Josh McDaniels lasts the season in Las Vegas. I think he gets fired at some point this year because they're going to be not just a, a junkyard with Patriots refuse, they're going to be a dumpster fire yeah. with some Patriots offshoots there. And then you're going to have somebody come in and be like, I don't want any of this. Granted, I like, you know, I like some of the, the pieces that they have. I thought they had a good draft, one of the best um, in the AFC West. I just think they had the best draft out of the AFC West. They had more shots at it. But you have all of these weird problems and you have the season haven't even started and Devontae Adams is talking bad about their quarterback I just oh, is, I'm very confused I'm very confused at what Josh McDaniels thinks he's doing because everything that he learned, should have learned in Denver is not transferring over to, to this, he doesn't really know how to run the team how you know, they traded for 
Devontae Adams, and they were still bad. They were worse than they were the year before, and they didn't have Devontae Adams. So then you trade away, you know, Darren Waller. Yeah, you draft Michael Mayer, you bring in Austin Hooper. I mean, okay, I like Michael Mayer. He was the only tight end I had with a round one grade. Um, and again, end of the first round for him. But you're hoping that Baby Gronk turns into Baby Gronk. But at the end of the day, you're not having Tom Brady throw him the football. You have Jimmy Garoppolo throwing him the football. <laughs> like, it's – I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough situation for Raiders fans because yeah. I think that their defense is still going to be awful. And their offense looks like it's going to be even worse than it was last year. So, yeah. whew, it's it's just it's tough. It's a tough situation. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, I just you know I'm going to look at this and I when you start bringing in Garoppolo and Philip Dorsett, um, <laughs> that that just kind of um, and then then you bring your two tight ends in and one of them is Hooper, who's you know he's okay. I mean, yeah, I think he's, he's a competent pro. Um, I I just look at this and I think. What was Devontae Adams going to be thinking? I mean, that was my first thought when they brought Garoppolo yeah. and it got rid of Carr. And I just thought, ooh, Adams came here specifically for Carr. So <laughs> what's happening here? So what are the odd, you know, are you feeling, is it, are you feeling the idea of Adams staying in Vegas in the entire 2023? Or do you think by like midseason, Adams will be somewhere else? I think he should be somewhere else. Uh, he clearly, I don't think he wants to be there at all. I mean, now that he's, I don't think he likes Josh McDaniels. I don't think he likes the fact that they traded away his best friend. The only reason he's even in, like I said, even in Vegas. Um, and I do believe that they're going to be a pretty bad team. So they should probably be looking to trade him at some point. I would imagine by week six, I think that you probably are going to have a good opportunity to try to trade him. Some team is going to want to look at him for contend contender wherever it's going to be um maybe he reunites with his his ex-quarterback in uh in new york who knows yeah. who knows what the jets end up doing because they just continue to want to bring in ex-green bay packers and doesn't matter who it is so yeah i i do think that they should look to do that and yeah he i don't think he's happy at all i would give it about a 40 percent chance that he stays with the vegas with the raiders this whole season yeah i i don't i think it's I think it's pretty much a done deal. I think that um, Josh, I've talked about this a lot on so many shows about Josh McDaniels alienating, having a history of alienating people. And I think that, you know, they go, well, he worked well with Tom Brady. And I think it's because Tom Brady was the type of personality that literally would just get up, get out there and yell at him and tell him, you know, if, if McDaniels yelled at him, he would yell back at him and probably just go apeshit on them and and mcdaniels and they worked well together that way i mean some people have a good relationship where you know it's volatile uh, you know in the workplace but that kind of yelling screaming you know going after each other they can forget about it when it's when the when the game's over and they can have yeah. a beer or just work productively and know that that's just part of parcel of the thing but a lot of people aren't that way and i yeah this looks like a disaster to me in the making for sure, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders end up getting the bad end of the deal, even when they do give Devontae yeah. Adams up. Just be the way the way that's going to work. McDaniel's was probably going to covet somebody that's like, you know, not worth what they're giving up, and and will and it'll be leading with the ego. And next thing you know, the Raiders oh, yeah. will be talking in history about remember so-and-so, you know, and it'll be the key word for the story of we gave up, <laughs> we got this guy 
for, you know, we got three magic beans for Devontae <laughs> Adams, you know, and two of them were empty, you know, and they're just the shell casing, you know. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting with that. So what about the possibility? I just, not that there's any rumors that I've heard. Yeah. But I, you know, being a Browns fan, it doesn't look like Kareem Hunt's coming back to, to Cleveland. What do you think about the possibility of the, the Chiefs going, yeah, sure, let's, Let's let's have a return engagement with Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I would love personally. I'd love to see Kareem Hunt back in Kansas City. Uh, he not only would come in and be the best back in Kansas City, bar none, right away. He's better than anybody there. I tell you right now, yeah, he is. Um, he he could open up the offense. He really could, especially if he's back to you know he had some injuries in Cleveland. If he could get back healthy, come in, he'd be the best back and be able to. You could still lighten his load a little bit with. Isaiah Pacheco. You could rotate them in and out because we know Kareem Hunt was better, is always a better pass catching back than uh, than Isaiah Pacheco ever will be, and especially from a uh, pass protection duty standpoint. But he's never going to be back in Kansas City, yeah. ever. I don't think that the Chiefs will ever forgive him for lying to their face. Like this is something a lot of people don't don't know is that back when the incident with Kareem Hunt happened in Kansas City. He was approached by Andy Reid in the organization, and they asked him point blank what happened, okay? Point blank. And he lied to their face and said that nothing happened. And then the video came out of him kicking that woman, right. okay? Andy Reid is a very, I think we all know, very loyal person. And one of the big reasons, and I know that a lot of people don't like Tyree Kill for everything that happened, being on the other side of that situation, I can tell you that... Tyreek was very open with the organization through that process. He had uh, all the information, and it turned out that he was not lying about a lot of things. And that his, his at the time, um, girlfriend slash or fiance or slash wife, whatever, whichever one it was, I can't forget, I can't remember at this point, was a very abusive person as well. And then things weren't going well in that relationship. And then, then it turns out, and you know, lots of things went sideways. I won't derail this conversation with that because we'll get lots of people in the comments. But regardless, uh, Kareem Hunt lied to their faces, and I don't think that he is going to be coming back based on that. Now, I am one for looking at what Kareem Hunt has done since um, he's kept his nose clean for everything that we know. And per again, personally, I, I would be open to seeing him back in Kansas City. But I, I do believe that this this team, this organization, holds grudges. They things whether it end badly, stay ending any badly, and they don't. It's the same reason I don't think Justin Houston will end his career in Kansas City, even though he probably should. I think he should. He should come back to Kansas City and be a rotational pass rusher and end his career here. Probably won't do that because of the way that it ended poorly between them before his his time is up in Kansas City. So the feelings are are very, I guess they 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 do hold their grudges pretty well in Kansas City. So I would say no, but I would love to see him back. And I get it. And I think that I think in the case of Kareem Hunt, at least if if you lie to Andy Reid or you lie to the organization, then I could see them just saying, "Yeah, we're done for good." And I think. Yeah. That, and I and I see that as a smart decision from a management perspective because um, if you give the guy another chance after they've lied and you were going to be loyal to them through it and let them work yeah. their way through it, and and you you know because with with Tyree Kill, I mean, I'll just say this: regardless of the details of whether yeah. and whether you, as an individual, whether you agree or disagree with the idea of employing people who've been 
who've been um, dealing with, um, you know, or convicted of or, or charged with or involved in any kind of level of domestic violence. Yeah. Um, you know, the point of the matter is, is that in this country, we certainly still... Um, there are people in corporate America all over the place employed for a variety of crimes, including domestic violence, um, and even had convictions and are still employed. So when you look at it from the standpoint of, look, whatever you feel about it, you're going to have to deal with people who are who are dealing with their own off-field stuff. How are you, you know, what is it, what kind of standards are you going to have knowing that you're, you're still going to be working with people who have these have gone through these issues and the the biggest thing i could only think of is that if they're being honest with me about everything that's going on and i know i can trust them moving mm -hmm. forward and that they were willing to be that up front with me in the job interview and then everything was confirmed through that then then we'll move forward and we'll take the hit but if yeah. someone's who's been established is like not doing that then i then i get that i mean that's the that's that's the, about the best that they can do so how about Trey Lance? You know, I, before I asked this, after I asked this question, apparently the, <laughs> the, you know, the current thing is that Trey Lance is looking good. You know, that, you know, Clyde Christensen is saying, you know, talking up his, his um, improvement with his skills. Um, but obviously it's early, it's train, it's mini camp where, you know, we're not even on the field yet. I've been a, uh, uh, I've been an admirer of Trey Lance's potential in game. Um, I have not been an admirer of his landing spot because I'm just I'm a big believer that Kyle Shanahan um, is a system guy. Most West Coast guys are system guys, and they uh, Andy Reid's a good exception of that, where he'll take a talent and go, "We'll work with that talent and figure yeah. it out." But most West Coast offensive guys from the Shanahan tree are more likely to be like, "It's my system, and I want guys who execute the system." And I don't care whether they have high-end talent or mid-range talent. I'd rather have the mid-range talent who does everything I want him to do than the high-end talent who may veer a little bit from what goes there. And that may extend to the point of maybe the narcissistic kind of view of having your system being an extension of you to the point that if you get a player who's not quite on board with the program that you just write them off quickly. Mm -hmm. I think Mike was that way. I think Kyle learned it from Mike. And I think we see a little bit of that from him. So my thought is I'm not feeling his future as an NFL starter in San Francisco as much as I would like that. But I am feeling his future as a as a starter down the line as long as as long as Kyle doesn't fuck with his head and, and bury him before it gets the shot. What about yeah, you? That, that's right. That's all what this is all about, right? Does he completely get fucked up? Like it was what these this happens to a lot of young guys with lots of talent. They get completely destroyed by their landing spots. And, and then you you see them years later, yeah, this guy, we still were people are still talking themselves into Sam Darnold. Funny enough, who is in San Francisco. Yeah. Like the talent was always there with Sam Darnold, but guess what? He's one of the worst decision makers I think that has come out of the of the, of college in recent memory yeah. maybe even help further back he just doesn't know where to go with the football yeah. and times he locks in and he's like i can make this throw and he's like yeah and then he does make that throw. you're like see there's a talent but he does not he, everything outside of right here 
is not within realm of possibilities for him. Pressure coming in, um, seeing all the dropping safeties, all of that kind of stuff. He doesn't really see any of that. So when you look at, at Brock Purdy versus Trey Lance, I think the big thing for me is that Purdy had the starts. Okay, He, he doesn't have the most talent. But guess what? He was at Iowa State for a, quite a while. He was a senior coming out, too. He had a lot of starts. He had a lot of experience in making things happen and functioning, running a functioning offense. It wasn't the best all the time. His traits aren't always the best. But he typically is, you can point him in the right direction and say, do this. And if this doesn't happen, do this. If that doesn't there, you can run. Like, that's kind of how it feels to an extent with, with Brock Purdy. You point him in that direction, he can get that done. Obviously, brought up because of the weapons around him. Trey Lance is, is like you said, a little bit more of an undetermined factor with that. You not only have him coming up from NDSU, which is a very different offense, very different schematically. It's very in the sense that they're run heavy, yes, but there's a lot of different uh, uh, you know, fullback. You're a lot of more under center stuff. Like it, it feels a little different at NDSU than you know coming up to the NFL, not just jumping from like an SMU to the NFL, it's NDSU, which is a whole tier down. Up two spots, learning a new offense, and you got hurt multiple times. So maybe your confidence isn't there either. Um, Trey Lance, for me, is I'm still a believer that he can be the starter in San Francisco. It's all about from it's all about the experience learning in the offense. Last year should have been a very good opportunity for him to learn from Brock Purdy who has more starts than Trey Lance does now. Even as a college player, he had more starts than yeah. Trey Lance ever had to this point. So at, at the very least, you can look what he did, look at what he was able to do, and try and operate the offense the same way. Because we know, I don't think that Trey Lance is the type of runner that you know uh, Jalen uh, Hurts or uh, Justin Fields is. I think he's more of a tier down from those guys. He's really kind of more of a straight line. Like, if you see see a path here... Kind okay, of a I'm Josh probably, Allen type, you know? Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, he's going to probably more bully somebody than just blow straight by them all the time like the, yeah. or make a miss in open field. You're not going to see that ton of that from Trey Lance. But get the ball out, learn to speed the clock up a little bit. If everything with the mechanics that we're seeing it is true, that will help the process. Because a lot of times people people think that he's just not getting the ball out quick enough because he's not seeing it. A lot of, a lot of that time is because your mechanics are slow. Josh Allen was another one of those things. Like, his mechanics were slower. In his first couple of seasons, he reworked that. He did all the work. And it doesn't happen all that often where you see these guys take that leap. Like, Josh Allen's an exception. You're hoping that Trey Lance can be that exception as well. If the ball can come out quicker, that will help your brain speed up as well. And I think that he'll be more comfortable being able to move through some of his reads. So, I believe he could be um, the starter this year because I think he's the most talented good decision maker in in uh in san francisco but uh like you said i don't know where his confidence is i don't know what what kyle shanahan is saying behind closed doors because apparently they have three starting quarterbacks and we don't know which one's going to be yeah yeah it's <laughs> it's a mess right now to try and figure that one out we'll we'll stay tuned with that soap opera so what about the soap opera in dallas dak prescott rebound yeah. in 2023 I'm feeling it. I am feeling a, a Dak Prescott rebound. And all of this is going back to trying to project Brian Schottenheimer, okay? Because, yes, Mike McCarthy is going to be installing more of an offense that he ran in, in Green Bay. But if you go back to when Brian Schottenheimer was last an offensive coordinator, he was the Seattle Seahawks coordinator from 2020 or 2018 to 2020. And Russell Wilson's finishes, from, and from a fantasy perspective, from those three seasons, QB6, QB 
three and QB nine. And all the offenses that he ran in Seattle were this ground and pound run game, throw the ball down the field. And you look at what Dak Prescott is. He's a better pocket passer than Russell Wilson is. He doesn't always need the guardrails that Russell Wilson does, which we're going to get to later. Um, and he can operate a little more off script than I think Russell Wilson can. I think he's a better runner now than Russell Wilson is in his career. And I do think that uh, with the weapons around Dak Prescott, you, you have a, a huge array of weaponry, even though it's not necessarily the star power everyone wanted it to be with Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. You still have your Brandon Cooks, who I think is going to have a very good season yep. in Dallas, is going to be an excellent complementary piece to CeeDee Lamb, where CeeDee doesn't have to be the deep threat. He can do everything that he does well in winning short to intermediate and then the yak stuff. He doesn't have to be the deep threat that he kind of had to be. Um forever in his career in, in Dallas that he Amari Cooper was the guy who was more of the winner and he was the deep threat the speed guy CeeDee Lamb can go back to being like what Amari Cooper was I think that you could see that very relatively happen this year so I like the offense if the offensive line continues to get better as we saw kind of go towards the end of the season last year get more comfortable you have some young young pieces they're trying to you know to coach up and get get into that, that that space with Schottenheimer. I know Mike McCarthy's calling plays, but we know that even to an extent that uh, Aaron Rodgers in that offense was still putting up a ton of numbers with Mike McCarthy calling plays. They just weren't winning playoff games. I don't care about that for fantasy. What I want to see is Dak Prescott getting out there and throwing the ball all over the place when they're able to hit those deep shots. He can regularly hit those. I think they'll be more comfortable. And I, and I think that Brian Schottenheimer with Mike McCarthy can make an offense where Dak has a good amount of comfortability that he's in a little bit more innovative ability. Because I do think that for everything that Kellen Moore was, sometimes he would get into his own space and run the same uh, kind of stuff over and over again or get out of his head where if it was working, he wouldn't go back to it. So I'm hoping that they see that, that in Dallas this year. And I believe he can have a rebound. Yeah, I think we'll see. We may see more intermediate to deep shots in the middle of the field to guys like Cooks and Gallup, who I think if Gallup, yeah. if what Gallup is saying is true, that he feels, you know, a little more explosive this year after coming back from the knee injury and he's doing a little bit better <laughs> there, that could be helpful. Um, so what about, you know, mini camp headlines? You know, we hear things like, oh, Tank Bigsby looks amazing, you know, yeah. running angle routes against linebackers. Or Samori Ture, could he be the starter in Green Bay because he's third on the depth chart? You, you know, when we have unproven players that could be starters based on training camp um, performances or depth, or depth charts that show up early in training camp, do you feel that? Or are you just kind of like, look, it's a layer and fuck Fuck the idea of like, that's just a clickbait headline. Man, I want to say that it's just a clickbait headline, but especially when it lines up with my priors, I just sometimes think we all buy in on some of these things. Like last year for me, it was Jan Tolbert. It was Jan Tolbert because I believed in, in the South Alabama tape and the senior <laughs> bowl tape, watching him get open, watching him be a contested catch guy, looking at the depth chart saying, hey, guess what? There's nobody in his way. There's nobody there. And then he's just like, I don't know how to read an offense. I don't know what I'm doing here. So, granted, I still have faith that he could be a better player this year. Yes, that's more depth chart 
because I don't believe in Michael Gallup. I don't believe in him. I don't. I don't think he's a good player. I know some people thought he was a really good guy, really good player. I don't see it. I never saw it with Michael Gallup. So I think that Tolbert could still feasibly find his way onto the field this year. But I do think we can we can take a a lesson from most of these minicamp headlines and to say fuck it, like just. Don't read into it. It's air. They're most and a lot of these guys aren't playing against the starters even during OTAs. That they're some most of them are voluntary OTAs, and the veterans are like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not coming here. Like I don't have to be here. I'm not putting that extra wear on my body. It's for these younger players who maybe don't know the offense and maybe don't know the defense to show up and get better at the NFL speed. OTAs, rookie minicamp, or an introduction. And kind of a for for me the mini camps are just trying to introduce these guys to the speed of the NFL. Even to an extent, none of them are, have have played at this speed. And, and your coaching staffs are here and saying, "Look, we're going to run this faster. We're going to do it differently. You're going to have to learn more at a higher speed and a faster rate than you ever have." Then you get to the OTAs where some of these veterans are going to be in here, and then you get to see what real speed looks like when they all know what they're supposed to be doing, and you have no fucking clue where you're supposed to be on the field. Yeah. So uh, if you match up with a you know. A, some of these younger guys, like I would imagine we're probably going to hear some things about the uh, wide receiver out of Nebraska. Um, yeah. I know. Palmer, 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 Trey Palmer in Tampa Bay, because I would imagine that they're going to look to maybe trade one of those guys, whether it's Chris Godwin or whether it's uh, uh, Mike Evans. I would think Mike Evans, maybe. I don't know, man. It feels like the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are punting on the season personally. Uh, to, to try and do something yeah. because you have Baker Mayfield and Felipe Franks, if I'm not mistaken, is your like quarterback duo. I don't know. Kyle seems, Trask, uh, I think, is still there. Oh, Kyle yeah. Trask, you're right. Yeah. So, they they run like the same style. Yeah. I, I know. I feel you. I, I laugh because I looked at I looked at, at Tampa and I was like, "Ooh, that looks like a mess." Um, they bring in ba- they bring in Baker. You know, you're like, "Okay." But I love the points you're making, and and it's and it's true. It's like much less, not only just OTAs, but much less like late preseason when now the court the starting quarterback is relying on you to make the same reads as him in the yeah. offense. And can you do that? Uh, can you make the late adjustment to the blitz for a blitz pickup as a running back? Can you do those are the those are the things that matter and and either help seasons or can kill a season with one hit. You, yeah. you know, so it's a good point. So let's just quick question. I mean, you're a Missouri guy, um, and you know, I, I, everyone, everyone who's outside Missouri thinks, okay, Kansas City. They think barbecue. They think burnt ends. They think oh, Arthur yeah. Bryant. Sometimes, if they're maybe older school or Jack Stack, I've I've certainly seen um, that. I've 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 been on the pleasant end of some Jack Stack um, for that. But what about the Z-Man sandwich? Is this a Kansas City icon as well? Is this something that people should know about? Have you had a Z-Man sandwich? You know, I've lived here for now three years. This is my third year living in Kansas City. And I've been to Joe's once. And I did not actually get the Z-Man because everyone talks about the Z-Man. And so for when when I'm going to a new barbecue place in Kansas City. There are so many. There are so many. There is such good barbecue here. I don't even think people understand the extent. You know, I grew up in Michigan. Barbecue is not a, a thing <laughs> in Michigan. It's not. You go there and everyone's like, 
here's a coney dog that's about it we all got in michigan that's it um so or lebanese food you know yeah it's and my parents weren't you know adventurous with food growing up i didn't know most of what was happening and then i moved to california when i when i graduated and joined the uh, the air force and there's no barbecue in california either either so like you have to and then i you know i get here and i'm just like this is this is great. This is amazing. So, yes, I do think that it's an, a Kansas City icon. Most people will tell you to have it. I will tell you not to get, like, the thing everyone talks about. Typically, it's not going to live up to expectations. And there's also other great things to try. But also, you know, I stood in line for an hour at, at Joe's when I went. I went with my daughter. Um, and I didn't – it was a Saturday. Like, it was just starting to – the snow was starting to melt a little bit. The sun was out. Everybody was like, no, we're going to Joe's. Apparently, and this was the uh, the original one, so it was part of the original gas station that they were they ran it out of. So yes, it, it's great, great barbecue. They have a ton of different uh, barbecue sauces. I love barbecue sauce, all different kinds. Um, people will argue, you know, Kansas City versus like South Carolina. I don't care. Give me a sauce. I, just yeah. spice it up a little bit. I don't care. But absolutely, Z Man's definitely a uh, definitely a Kansas City icon. But there's just, there's so many things to try here. Don't. Don't, if you're going to come in and into Kansas City and try some things, don't go for the most iconic thing. I think you'll find you'll probably like other things better. Okay, good to know. So, you know, my father lived in Colorado for almost 50 years, um, and there are a couple times I've had to make the drive from Atlanta to Colorado, and <laughs> um, you know, hitting hitting you know, there's pretty country in North Georgia and Tennessee, and then you get up into you know, you get up into Kentucky and Illinois and mm-hmm. and and St. Louis and St. Louis, you know, and and all of that's kind of there's there's some nice things to look at, and then you get past Kansas City, and you get past the Chiefs Stadium. You know, Missouri's not bad either. You know, I've I've certainly you know there's I've Missouri gets a little bit you know gets a little flatter, more planes. You get the big sky. There's yeah. something nice about that. It's a nice welcome when you're coming from the east and you start to see that you're heading west. But then when you get past the Kansas City Chiefs Stadium and start heading west, it's a- am I wrong to say that it could literally be made a meaningful like punishment, like legal <laughs> sentence by a court of law to make you drive through that state east to west or west to east? Because it is the most interminably boring drive I have ever mm-hmm. made at least four or five times in my life. There are, I have driven through three states that I can say that about, and I hate it because I, you know, I, I lived in Nebraska a few, before the stop in Kansas City. Nebraska's one. Like, it, it's one of them, too. It's, it's awful. It's awful. And, you know, I lived there, so I would go visit my parents in Michigan and drive across Nebraska, across Iowa. Iowa is another one. There is nothing in Iowa. <laughs> it just It's just a plain strip of corn the entire way. So, yes, Kansas is, is the other one. It's yeah. it's awful. Like We had to drive south through Kansas to get to Texas to visit my, uh, my in-laws. <laughs> that maybe four hours of, of that trip, it feels like the entire trip. It does. It is one of the most boring, like mentally draining Just flat gray or brown it's heavy it. wind and apocalyptic preachers on the radio like there's if no you were to even try and tune into the 
to the to the radio for oh, whatever yeah. reason. You know, like the, the fact that there's no green is it, ridiculous. It's just gray and dead grass. It's oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. and it, it it should be made into a punishable sentence by a court of law. But by those lesser people, you're picking up garbage on the highways. Great, go drive through Kansas. You won't do that again. Maybe maybe we should send Josh McDaniels uh, <laughs> through Kansas and hope that he just never comes reports to the next team that he goes to. Maybe the Raiders should send him through there and that might get rid of their problem. So will there be a rookie tight end in 2023 who delivers at least 800 receiving yards and five scores? Oh, that's a big old fuck it for me. Uh, you go back to 2015. 2015, this isn't even all that far back. Cal Pitts is the only tight end, rookie had tight end, since that time to hit 800-plus yards in a, in a season. That's it. Yeah. And before the only that, one. And before that, the last one was Mike Ditka. So, so that, yeah. there you go. It's not exactly <laughs> a great stretch. The great, uh, I, I know ever, this tight end class, it, it's a very good class, okay? Tight ends are in a, a state of flux in the NFL right now. The, the teams are trying to figure out what best thing that they want. Look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Look at them. They have, they drafted Darnell Washington, who everyone was like, this dude's so athletic. He, okay, just go watch him play a few games in Georgia. Tell me how athletic he looks running routes and after the catch. He doesn't look that athletic to me. Um, but you have Pat Fryermuth right there. Pat Fryermuth is one of the best young tight ends in the NFL, in my opinion. Yep. Do it all. Do it all tight end. He is like a, a, a Rob Gronkowski minus like he's not going to physically admonish some guys like Rob Gronkowski could in his prime he's a good blocker he's a good route runner he has great hands he can do lots of different things after the catch and then they, they draft this guy like this is what NFL teams are doing right now they're, they're taking these tight ends and they're just kind of putting them into roles yeah for example the Green Bay Packers drafted two of them on day two they drafted Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave, who both don't block very well. I mean, Tucker Craft is a better blocker, but at the end of the day, you're hoping that Luke Musgrave essentially turns into a slot receiver because he's not going to block for you. And, you know, he also has trouble catching the football. He, just, he doesn't necessarily know how to track very well. So it, it, it kind of matches up with Christian Watson, who also does not know how to catch the ball very well and has tracking problems. So it's a, it's a very weird part of the tight end landscape we're in right now where teams are like trying to draft these tight ends like Dalton Kincaid going to Buffalo yeah there's a lot of talk about slot for him how often do you see tight ends just run out of the slot it, it it's more of an idealism people think it as the ideal spot for some of these guys yeah he's gonna be the wide receiver too unless you're gonna be playing like Travis Kelsey you're probably not gonna have the overall offensive impact that you want so while most people probably argue Dalton Kincaid can get to 800 receiving yards, I don't think he can. I don't think he will. And five scores, probably. I think he can get to five scores. But Dalton Knox is, or Dawson Knox is being paid a lot of money to be to play tight end for the Buffalo Bills. He's not just going to go away. He, he's not. So I don't know, man. This It's a very weird. It feels like teams want two good tight ends on their roster that they can find ways to block and catch football and do whatever they need to. And the 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 do-it-all tight ends that we see with Mark Andrews and, you know, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, and I think we're going to see a little bit more with TJ Hawkinson this year in Minnesota, are kind of going 
to the wayside a little bit right now. Yeah. I mean, when I take a look at this, I will say I'll give, if I'm going to say that there are two potential options to do it, it will be Kincaid and Laporta. And mainly yeah. because the functions in their offense and that, that, and I do believe that maybe we'll see Kincaid replace more of what they hope to get out of um, Gabriel Davis and just say, yeah. we're not going to try and bomb it down the field as much, but we will, we'll be willing to go quicker hitters on the third read or the second read and not have to manufacture as much out of Kincaid that we would yeah. have to do out of Davis. So I'm a little bit more on the side of, of like, Maybe saying, you know, I want you to send me a Z-Man sandwich if if, if, <laughs> if Dalton Kincaid gets the the eight five because I'll take that end of the bet with him. But uh, with that said, you know Laporta, we talked. You know, just quick, we'll do some quick hitters here. Yeah. Um, Lions earn prime time attention. And a lot of games that are going to be in prime time. Is it because they're a legitimate playoff contender, or is it because they just play tough and they've and they've had a lot of close games? That's exactly what it is. They play tough, and people love talking about biting off kneecaps. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what this is. They don't have star power. They, they don't. And I like Jared Goff. Jared Goff is fine. Jared Goff is a good, a good NFL quarterback. He operated that offense to the peak. The, that, that's, where, that's the thing here. We saw the Lions offense, in my opinion, peak last year. At the peak of what it could be. Yeah. You also now have to go six games without your deep threat. You bring in Marvin Jones, who is going to not give you as much as DJ Chark did last year. Yep. And you have to now use Sam Laporta, who's also a slot receiver, by the way, and Amon Ross St. Brown in the same role. Okay, So you have overlapping role players. You don't have your deep threat for the first six games of the season because he got suspended from sports betting in this inside the Detroit Lions facility. These rules are very easily outlined, and yet he couldn't even wait to get outside the Detroit Lions facility. We got some mentalist stuff to figure out there. Um, I love Jameson Williams. He was my wide receiver coming out that year. Wide receiver one coming out that year. I think he could be legitimately special. But, I mean, what do we got? What do we got? Um, and I don't know if the Lions defense is going to be any good. Like, yeah. It was yeah. pretty terrible. They're going to need Amon Ross St. Brown to really show up as a flanker. He's going to have to be a great yes, flanker absolutely. so that they can get what they get out of Laporta and maximize that and have enough binds. And and Jones really is better as a flanker and a slot option than he is actually a split end, slot, yeah. especially at this yep. stage of his career. Um, so that is, it is a fascinating look with them. I think it's totally that they just play hard. So Russell Wilson, you know, you know, mind you, you know, you've got two people who hate Denver um, on the <laughs> show probably. Um, but Russ, and I like Russell Wilson, but yeah. Russell Wilson, does he rebound with Sean Payton at the helm? Yes, yes, yes. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid once again. I drank it last year. I'm going to drink it this year. Um, and that's because Sean, Sean Payton gives you guardrails. Yeah. Um, there's, I have, uh, I listened to, you know, the, uh, the, fo the Athletic Football Show podcast and they were talking about, and Nate Tyson and, and Robert were talking about how Nathaniel Hackett was like, no, you, Russell, you want to run the offense? You run the offense. Looked like shit last year, didn't it? Yeah. Russell Wilson can't really do that at this point in his career. Sean Payton, for everything that people question about him, because Drew, he had Drew Brees, I think that he's an excellent, one of the best offensive minds that we've seen over the last however many years. You want to go 20, 30 years, he's up there. He's going to install guardrails for Russell Wilson, and they're going to get that offense back on track maybe not explosive like we everyone expects it to be on track and i think that's a good place to start 
How about Austin Eckler? Does he stay in L.A. through 2023, or is he another guy that's going to be on the block and gone? Yeah, if the if the Chargers were smart, they would use him the first six games of the season to their extent of the ability and trade him away. Get the most you can for him, otherwise you get nothing for him. Um, I don't think they're very smart-run organizations, so I think he stays through L.A. through 2023. There you go. And and the Chargers are the Chargers. That's always been the joke about yeah. them, is that that's the quote. Is the Chargers are being the Chargers. So I would, I'm would i going to agree with that. Bengals, are they the most fearsome opponent in the postseason for Kansas City? Right now, I'll say they are. I, I think the the Bills have some something against the Chiefs. Like, they do give them trouble, specifically offensively, because they can't really stop Josh Allen running the football as much. But I do think a dark horse team that will give them trouble this year would be the New England Patriots, and they could also do that in the postseason. But right now, I do lean Bengals because they, they, they match stylistically very well offensively with what the Chiefs typically struggle with in throwing the ball down the field with their, their shorter corners. And they're, they're, they're not, I wouldn't say shorter corners, excuse me. They're kind of big on, on the outside. More of the way that they stylistically play corner where they don't necessarily get their head around to find the football at times. And we see T. Higgins and Jamar Chase dunk on them. So, yes, I think that they are the most fearsome right now. So do the Dolphins take another step forward toward becoming a legitimate contender in the AFC? If Tua plays all year, yes, because I do believe that he runs that offense exactly the way that it needs to be. And you saw the offense kind of take some weird turns last year where, you know, he was not playing, Teddy Bridgewater was playing, then you have Scott Thompson playing. So I think that if Tua plays all year, yeah, I think that they do take that next step. Okay. And then would you, but would you say Jacksonville's offense is more uh -huh. dangerous than Miami? Yes, it is. And that's the one reason is because it's more multiple. I think that Miami's offense is we're fast and we're going to we're going to do things the way we want to do them and if they have to change they're not very good at that. Yeah, they'll and, dictate and... until they they're being, <laughs> they're told to stop. Yeah, and I think that Doug Peterson is like, okay, we we can change things on the fly and they have a generational quarterback in my opinion. I think he, he talent-wise he's going to be everything you want some of these top quarterbacks to be and he allows them to change stylistically from game to game. Doug Peterson's very good at game planning specifically for defenses and changing. That's what Andy Reid has been able to do. That's why Doug Peterson can do it. And that's why you see, I, I think that these guys that come out of Kansas City, for the most part, offensively can change stylistically. Awesome. So final question. We alluded to it a little <laughs> bit with uh, Darnell yeah. Washington, but now you get Hakeem Butler added to the mix. They've got Allen Robinson added to the mix. Um, you know, Dude, and Calvin Austin was an interesting guy to me. Right? You, you know, who I thought was the best of those shrimp receivers with speed that came out last year. Wandale and Wandale yeah. and him and Khalil Pimpleton were all about like the same size Man, like dimension Pimpleton. type of guy with speed, similar speed and quickness too. But um, are there too many receivers and tight ends to figure out in Pittsburgh right now to like say – who do we rely on outside of Deontay Johnson? Um, and, you, you know, who's the other guy I'm trying to think of that, oh, Pickens. You know, Pickens, you, got, yeah, you yeah. got Pickens, him, Robinson, Pickens, Johnson, Robinson, Hakeem Butler, who they think they're hinting at will make the team, Austin, yes. who's really fast and explosive and is might be better on the outside than they realize. <laughs> and then you still have this whole Friar Washington thing going on. What I mean, do, does Pittsburgh think that they're going to be able to line up seven 
and still have six men on the line. I don't know. That's what I think. Like Darnell Washington was. He, he might just be a, a, a tackle. He might just be a tackle for them this year. I don't know. Um, you know, I tweeted out that there's a better, there's a good chance that he, there's an equally good chance that he becomes a great tackle, that he becomes a great tight end. I believe that to the full of my extent. If he if he completely made the switch, I think he could be a good tackle in the NFL. He's that good of a blocker. Um, so I don't know how they see him, but I know right. Frymuth is a really good tight end, a really good tight end. Their wide receiver room is so is so weird. Like you bring in Hakeem Butler, who's you know younger than Allen Robinson, but Allen Robinson can't do anything anymore, in my yeah. opinion. I don't know why you bring him in. There's so many players here, and and at the end of the day, do you trust? Their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, to get it everywhere. I don't. I Not think yet. that Deontay Johnson's the only guy in my in that offense that I want any part of. I, I know that George Pickens and may have a good chemistry, but I don't. I don't trust George Pickens. I don't know. I think that a lot of it is is a, is a splash in the pan. We'll see. But yes, I think that there are far too many tight ends and receivers to figure out what's going on, and it's kind of like they're trying to overcome Matt Canada's offense with trying to just throw as many bodies at the positions as they can yeah yeah it's gonna be fascinating there and and the afc is always a fascinating division it's, yeah. my, it's my favorite conference um for sure and certainly you know this was a fun show to be able to do you can find daniel on twitter at in harm's way 19 on twitter you can find him on the rgr podcast um, definitely check out the work that they do also on Twitter um, with all the film reviews there. And you'll be seeing Daniel more often on the on the RSB cast this season. We'll be doing some different work, and I've got some announcements coming up soon with um, someone else that we'll be talking about. I'll be doing some shows with, um, and we'll be doing that um, fairly soon. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening, everybody. Again, you can get your rookie scouting portfolio at mattwaldman.com. Um, for those of you who are waiting on projections, as I've mentioned when you know when they go up for sale, that the projections dynasty rankings, complete rankings of all the players, long build and short build, the first update will be in the first week of June. Um, so I'm working on that. I'm about halfway through the projections right now that I've that I've been working on. Um, so you know we're right on schedule. Thanks again, and talk to you later.